You're listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org. Right now we're getting ready to hear scripture. Lou Dupree is going to read to us from the Gospel of John, the ninth chapter. And as we hear this story, we find that Jesus is moving his ministry through an area just outside of Jerusalem. He's just a stone's throw away from the holy city. And there in this suburban town, if you will, the disciples and Jesus walking along see a man on the side of the road, depended upon others for his welfare, captured in a box of limitations put upon him by his own physical limitations of being blind and the attitudes of a society around him. Come and hear this story as Jesus addresses a man who was born blind. But, Lou. A reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it's someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I don't even paying attention or not, but right now there's a lot of conversation going on as to whether or not there'll be a Major League Baseball season this year. We're all past opening day, of course, but there's still some hope that a conversation between owners and management and the players will be able to create at least a shortened season of baseball. Right now it's up in the air. But one of the things that's not up in the air is that if there is a baseball season this year, for the first time in my life and long before that, this year, there will be no spitting allowed in baseball. 
because of COVID-19, there's been an agreement about healthy practices that they can engage in as Major League Baseball players. And one of those is you can't spit. Can you imagine watching a Major League Baseball game where somebody isn't spitting? It seems as if playing baseball creates a lot of saliva. And I've had more than a few comments by people in my life close to me who think it's extremely gross. And of course it is. Baseball players spit when they bat, when they pitch, when they're in the outfield. They spit sitting in the dugout, pumpkin seeds. They, they spit all the time. And not only the major leagues. You know and I know that all of the little boys and girls who watch Major League Baseball and then get into Little League games and Pony League games and the like take on that behavior. I've watched little kids, the youngest of little kids in T-ball spit because that's what you do when you play baseball. You know there are betting lines somewhere in this country around who's going to be the first major leaguer if there's a season to spit. You know that that's going to happen. We can't imagine the national pastime without this very gross action, and yet we accept it. Jesus used spit in this healing story. It is messy. It is uncomfortable. It's gross. And it gives us wonder as to why and what's going on here. We come into this story, and the disciples of Jesus see a man who had been born blind. It was a small town. Everybody knew everybody's business and history, and they all knew. Everybody knew this man had been born blind. And they see this man and began to have a theological conversation, a reflective conversation, as to the status of his life. Do you think he was born blind because of his sin or because of the sin of his parents? They engage in this conversation. They have the great debate from their vantage point of being able to stand apart and look upon him and talk about him. They turn to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, you want to weigh in on this? What do you think? And Jesus does not engage in the conversation. Jesus chooses instead to go straight to the man. Now, in this entire chapter, which is all about the healing of this man who had been born blind, there are only two verses that are attached to the actual moment of healing. And it's when Jesus goes to the man, takes some dirt, spits, and then works that together into a, well, a muddy paste. And it puts it on the eyes of the man and tells him to go wash his eyes in the pool of Siloam, and there, just outside of Jerusalem, to find healing. And of course, the man goes, his eyes are healed, and then the rest of the story continues on in chapter 9. We've talked a lot about that in the devotional life this past week. You can go back and watch those, and certainly I encourage you to read the rest of the chapter in your own time of reflection later today and in the days ahead. Jesus goes straight to the man and uses spit and mud. Why? Is it because spit has some healing properties they thought back in that time of Jesus? Well, the fact is, no, they didn't. In fact, they thought spitting was gross, too. They thought it was disrespectful. You weren't allowed to spit in the same ways in which we think it's inappropriate to spit. But Jesus goes and does this healing 
and mixes the water that he had at hand, his own spit, and the dirt to put it together. And there's the moment right there. The working together of the spit and the dirt to make this paste, this clay paste. That's when the authorities got really angry. You see, he's healing the man that everybody else wanted to talk about. He's going straight to the man. That probably bothered them a little bit. Why would Jesus go to him? Then he's doing it on the Sabbath day. Another Sabbath healing of Jesus. He's clearly disregarding Sabbath law, which was sacred and holy to the religious authorities. They were really angry. But now he dares to take spit and dirt and mix it together. You know what this is called? Kneading. You know how you knead bread? You work the dough, kneading the spit and the clay? was forbidden. One of the 39 categories of work that was forbidden according to the law of how to observe the Sabbath. So now the authorities are really angry. He goes to a man that they didn't want to go to. He goes to heal on a day in which he's not supposed to heal. And he also gives further offense by taking spit and mud, uh, dirt, and making mud of it. It's an offensive act, not because of the spit, but because of this action. And Jesus is willing to put it on the eyes of the man so that he could be healed on this holy day. That's why they were upset. And that's why I think Jesus used spit, not because it had healing power of its own. Jesus didn't need healing power from spit. Jesus is the great physician. Jesus, multiple times, has and will continue to create moments of healing in the Gospels. We know that. We've experienced the healing power of Jesus even in the world yet today, haven't we? No, he doesn't need spit to heal. He uses it as another way to show the blindness of those around him. The fact that they would get angry over Jesus healing somebody on the Sabbath. Yes, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath day, but to offer compassion and healing and new life to someone is prohibited by the rules by which you live, by the biases by which you have. Are you kidding me? And even more than that, now you're going to get offended because Jesus does this action? That offends you? The Pharisees, those who were the opposition party to Jesus, really were looking to find a way to discredit him. They were really getting, wanting to get rid of him, and the plans start, in fact, have been underway for a while now in the gospel to make sure Jesus is eliminated. And this is just another reason that just makes him so mad, because he did this. It seems ridiculous to us, of course. But that's their bias. That was their perspective. They were blinded. The disciples were blinded. Instead of having compassion, saying, maybe we could help this guy, what could we do to make his life better? They began to talk about him. They saw him as an opportunity to reflect on uh, what was going on in his life. What are the social ills that have helped create this scenario? What was the sin that made this happen? Rather than talking about things like, I wonder if he has enough food. I wonder if he has proper shelter. I wonder if he's being cared for. There's a phrase we have, it's called to turn a blind eye. I went and did some looking up of the phrase, and apparently it was first recognized as a part of our vernacular 
in around 1810, 1820. Several people are given credit to having to be the first ones to say it, but the fact is it's only been around for that 220 years or so. But the idea of turning a blind eye, the idea of making sure that we don't see the obvious in front of us, that's been around a lot longer. We find it in this story. Jesus looks around and sees a man who is hurting and sees an opportunity for God's glory to be revealed. Sees a person in need who he believes his best choice of action is not to talk about him, but to go to him. Who believes that in that engagement of being with this man, there's an opportunity where God can be revealed. The disciples turn a blind eye to all of that. They want to talk about the man. And the Pharisees never care about the man. They really don't. He, again, is just another pawn in their attempt to try to make sure they discredit Jesus. They don't celebrate with the man. The man who was formerly blind because of, since birth, who is now standing in front of them with full sight, they can't celebrate. They can't say, this is an amazing thing, I don't understand it, but thanks be to God. They can't celebrate this man. They instead want to interrogate him. How'd this happen? Who did this? Can you say it was Jesus so we can convict him? They go to his parents later in the story and say, was this your son? Can you tell us about this? And even the parents back off. They're not able to celebrate their son who can now see for the first time because they're living in such fear. They have all put their blinders on. So many different kinds of blinders. And their faith has allowed them to do it. Has been the cause of their blinders. They have created a construct of how they see the way faith ought to be lived, about how they're to protect the status quo that their faith has provided to them. And they're going to work very hard to make sure they turn a blind eye. I think by this point in their life, they're not even choosing it. They just default to it. Jesus offends people because he takes some spit. Instead of Jesus gives people an opportunity to sing praises to God and to act in faith by what he does to heal a man. It's an amazing contrast. And it still goes on today. One of the things that we keep talking about here is the ability for ourselves to look around and see what God is doing in our midst. We get so busy and wrapped up in the pattern of life that we have that we rush by the very miracles that God has dropped in our lap. You and I can go on this trip for a long time, and you know it's true. How many times in my life did I rush by my children because I had to go do something important? Of course, we all at times have to go to work and get tasks, and of course you get that. But the reality is there have been times where I could have slowed down more and taking time to be with the miracles that God has given me. I pray they forgive me, and I pray they don't repeat what I taught them. There are times that we go by the miracle of an opportunity to sit down and talk with the people who are closest to us and just love on them and let our love help both of us be nurtured and grow. 
There are things that God is doing in our midst around us that shock us, and we take it for granted. We've talked about this over and over again, but we keep talking about it because I think we still turn a blind eye. The opportunity right now to praise God is being poured out around us in nature. How many times yesterday did you go outside and, and, and just give God thanks and praise for the beauty of the day, for the song of the birds, for the flowers that are blooming? Just, just not only be acknowledging that it's spring, June, but also acknowledge that God is doing some great work right now. We can take a look at all the negative what's going on with COVID-19, of course, and how it's shrunk our life and kept us bottled in, but there are also places where we can look around to give God thanks and praise for those who have been the heroes, who are the heroes, for caring for those who are the most vulnerable. We can think about, oh, how terrible it is that we can't be worshiping right now in the building, but the number of lives that are being touched, the people that we're able to feed, the people that are being connected with because of what we're learning in a new way of being the church. God is doing amazing things right now. And the day will come when we will re-engage back in some of our former practices. But we will always continue to find new ways to celebrate God if we just keep our eyes open and see, look, engage what is happening around us and not turn a blind eye. The religious of Jesus' day were so caught up and trying to be religious, they quit being faithful. So caught up in being grateful for the lives that they had received because of their life, they couldn't see how sometimes the way they lived in their faith was hurting others, dismissing others, missing opportunity to let God be revealed. Right now, we are in the middle of a culture which is in a major blind spot. We have discovered, once again, how blind we have been. We live in a divisive culture right now where we actually, even in the church, have a way of talking about those who disagree with us as our enemies rather than as fellow Americans or maybe even fellow Christians who see things differently. We're unable to build bridges. In fact, we burn bridges between others because of ideology, because of politics and turn a blind eye to the connection we have spiritually to the fact that we're all created children of God. And while we may disagree on him so many things, can we not come together? Can we not find Jesus coming to all of us and imploring us to find a way to work together, even with our differences, so that this community we call our country would be stronger? Right now, we are in a time when our culture is being challenged once again to confess how much of a blind eye we have had to the life situations of our brothers and sisters who are black and brown. We struggle to try to figure out what this all means again and what we're to do about it. We've been here before. And for most of us who are white, we think, well, We've made some progress. Things are better than it used to be. We didn't know things were as bad as they are because we've turned a blind eye. But now, if we are willing to open up our eyes and our ears and just listen, just listen 
to our brothers and sisters who are oppressed and struggling, who have to say things to their kids. I would never think about having to say things to my kids so they would be safe when they leave the house, who face all kinds of the impact and the pain of the sin of racism in their life on a daily basis. We need to listen to that. We need to not sit back and think around, well, here's the cause and here's what you need to do and here's what you need. No, we need to listen. We need to not make people who are saying their pain to be an object of our conversation. We need to go and be with them, walk with them, and work until justice for them is as equal as it is for all the rest of us. This whole conversation about black lives matters. People get so offended at times when I would hear people talk about how that's a terrible thing to say. Completely missing the point. To say that God loves all people, of course that's true. But when your brother and sister is hurting, when they have been fighting against the odds for so long, and when you discover that you, in fact, have an opportunity to be part of their solution by just listening and embracing them and looking them in the eye and say, your life matters, and I don't need to qualify it. I don't need to add others' names to it. In this moment, I'm going to say to you, black lives matter. Black lives matter. Jesus went to this man who had formerly been born blind and said, your life matters. He wasn't dismissing disciples or Pharisees or anyone else, but in the moment he knew he had to step up and go to this man and say, your life matters. Black lives matter. And when the church can say that, because we're willing to listen rather than judge or cast our own ideas out there, then we will begin to be part of the partnership towards a solution rather than the barrier of those who've turned a blind eye and a deaf ear. We have an opportunity in this moment to decide to be the people of God who sit back and talk about or those who go to and listen and engage and get involved in the messy behavior of loving others where they are, of walking with them where they are, and not paternalizing them or being the ones to come to the rescue, but to listen and be led by grace to offer lives changed so that the privilege that I have would be removed from me and the justice that I have be shared with all is my prayer. Today, it feels as if Jesus is, is particularly coming to us to say, even in the mess, even in the grossness of the struggles of this time and the things where others are saying things and doing things that are painful, which happens throughout all of chapter 9, we have the chance to be the ones who say, I'm going to go with Jesus. And I'm going to do everything I can to bring healing to those who need healing. And by surrendering my life to that, find healing for myself, sometimes for sins I didn't even know 
that I was carrying and to create a new community of hope. When we surrender to that, when the church is committed to that, to keep our eyes wide open, to keep our hearts open, to keep our ears open, we will find a moment like this man formerly born blind when he will no longer be called the man formerly born blind. We will no longer be judged because of some proposed sin or deficiency in him that others think about him. Just because of looking at him, they make that decision. No, this man came to be known as a man who said, Jesus Christ, you are the Messiah, a full, faithful, equal, one who's been loved and invited into the kingdom of God by Jesus Christ, where he will be treated justly and revered for all time. I pray that God will keep us and guide us to be that community of faith that others say they keep seeing things that others can't see and doing things others aren't doing, not for their own pride and not out of their own arrogance or ability, but because we have surrendered and submitted to Jesus Christ. Look for what God is doing around you. Embrace it. Follow it. Give God praise for it. And lean into it. For the days of miracles, in the places where things are messy, still happen. And we're being invited to be part of that miracle, to be healed, and to share healing in this world. May it be so, and may we do it this week to the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org.